following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4 is where we're going to be at today. First uh, Peter 4. Uh, we're going to look at verse 12, and then we're going to go all the way to the end of chapter 4, and then we're going to move into chapter 5. It is good to be in the house of God this morning. Amen. Man, as I was uh, studying for this sermon, I was thinking about the kids going back to school and everybody going back to work and all those things that transpiring. And I was thinking, man, what are your prayer requests for your kids as they go to school? What would your prayer be as they get ready to leave the house? What is their, what your prayer for them? You know, and a lot of us would say to be successful and to, um, you know, uh, do well and um, that they would have a good day. You know, we always pray for a good day. But uh, I don't know if any of you prayed that your kids would suffer this year. Now, maybe if you're a twisted parent, you probably did, all right? You're like, for all the pain and anguish that you have put me through these past four months, may you go and suffer in school. Peace be with you, my little heathen, right? I don't think you would do that. Uh, But it's interesting, because we live in a sin-cursed world, because this is where we're kind of at in our society, um, and just as a world from day one, when Adam sinned, and went against God, uh, God's plan for his people is that they would suffer. Like if you read the Bible from cover to cover, you go from Genesis to Revelation, you see that believers are literally children of suffering. And Peter is going to articulate that for us today. And he's going to say that suffering's not necessarily a bad thing. He's going to say that it's a good thing because it makes us more Christ-like. Now, Peter's writing to people who are all over the place in regards to what we would call home church, like people who met in their houses, And Peter's articulating and essentially targeting a specific group that were uh, hated for the fact that they were believers in Jesus Christ. And maybe you grew up in church and maybe you've never been to church and maybe this is your first time at church or you're punching in online and you're thinking to yourself, you use that word believer a lot. And we use that word believer a lot because um, we would say these are people who have believed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, okay? That Christ came, he died, and he rose again. We believe that his blood covers our sin. And so we put our faith and our trust in Christ. And as people do that, back then and today, we realize that you'll be hated for this thing we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, you know, Peter wasn't taken aback when Jesus talked about suffering. It didn't throw him off guard because Before Jesus left the earth, he had a meal with his disciples and his followers, and he looked right at them. In in John chapter 15, he said, if they persecuted me, guess what they're going to do? They're going to persecute you. If they they pushed back against me and what I had to say, they're going to do the same thing for you. It shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't take you off guard. And he says, all these difficulties that you face... All these things that you face, you have to put them in context of end times, all right? That Christ is coming again soon. So we believe that Christ came and he died and he rose again, but guess what? He's coming back again soon. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, right? He's going to take us home. And in 1 Peter, we have to keep the end times in context as we study 
God's word together. Okay, he's already talked about suffering. He's already talked about final judgment. And we keep all those things in mind as we filter into 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Let's read that together, okay? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. You read out of the ESV version of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's pew Bibles in front of you, page 1891. If you want to take that Bible home with you, go for it, all right? Verse 12, he says this. Beloved, my dear friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ whom I adore, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be taken aback by that, as though something strange were happening to you, as if it was something odd, but rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's that end times statement that he says. So the first command we see here is that you and I are to share in Christ's sufferings. We're to share in Christ's sufferings. Now, he's already talked about this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. And again, he starts with this word, beloved or dear friends. Now, he doesn't necessarily know all of these believers who he's writing to, much like pastors don't really know all of the people sometimes who gather for church on Sunday or the people who hear the message later with the technology that we have. But Peter has a love for these people. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, he has a deep affection for them that they would know Jesus Christ as Savior and they would grow in their relationship with him by maturing in what they know in the word. And so Peter says, beloved, I want you to know this. It's going to hurt a little bit, but I do this because I love you. Now, you who have kids, you do this all the time. This is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. And we all know that's not true. We just say it. All right. But in Peter's case, it's true with God. Number one, it shouldn't surprise you that you have trials. Verse 12. The same word don't is used in 4.4. Okay. He says, don't be surprised. Just like he says, don't be surprised when you don't join in the world because they're full of debauchery. He says, don't be surprised that you are not uh, entertaining all of the worldliness that they have, and you shouldn't be surprised when this trial comes upon you. There's no reason to be shocked or alarmed. Persecution is part of what comes with being a believer. Now, the thing that separates 4.4 to this verse is that word fiery. Okay, that word fiery is kind of an interesting word. You can go circle that in your Bible. Yes, you can write in your Bible, I promise. Nothing bad will happen to you. As a matter of fact, God will be honored and glorified. And if you write in the Pew Bible as well, that's a different story. Just kidding. The word fiery or burning is already discussed as well. Chapter 1, verse 7. You don't have to go there. I'll just read it to you. It says, You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith will be more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. So what Peter's saying to us and to those believers here today is that suffering is good because it's a metaphor that describes much like metal has to go through massive heat to be removed of its impurities. So you and I have to go through trials so that the impurities would fade away. Peter says, suffering this way fits with end times because we as believers, now I say this real loosely, okay? We burn now so that we will not burn later. We go through trials now so that we can be in glory with God. We go through tribulation now because we don't have to do that later on. See, if we're not suffering, we should rejoice. If you're at a season in your life and you're like, Jordan, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. 
All right? You should thank God that he is protecting you in that way. But there are many of us who are gathered here today and we would say, that's not the case. I'm going through trials and tribulations and it feels like the walls are caving in. And do not be surprised because it is part of your faith and it's helping you see the genuineness of your faith. See, we approach trials and we look at them and we say, if only I could get out of them. And God says, if only you could go through them, you would be more like me. See, when we suffer, what Peter's telling us is your faith is proving genuine. You celebrate the fires of suffering because it is producing a maturity in you that others would long for. In suffering, we're able to be found praising God for his provision in the pain. Now, he doesn't stop at that. He says, it shouldn't surprise you, but also, it shouldn't be something strange that is happening to you. You know, like you look at it and you're like, oh, this is kind of weird, you know? Of all the things that I would have prayed for, this is not one of those things. Now, if you're reading this letter, okay, in a home church, Jews are so used to having trials and tribulations. It's like par for the course for them. So they would have read this and thought, well, duh, have you ever read the Old Testament? Like, we've been through everything. I mean, we've been through hardships, we've been through trials, we've been through tribulations, it's no big deal. But there were people who were coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who were not Jewish, and they were like, uh, excuse me, I didn't sign up for this. Where's the health, wealth, and prosperity that comes with the gospel? Why don't we have bigger homes? Why don't we have better chariots? Why don't we have more money? And Peter's like, I think you accepted the wrong gospel. Okay? He's like, listen, this shouldn't be strange to you, non-believers, because this is part of the experience. American believers are a lot like non-Jewish believers. It catches us off guard. Like there's so many times where we have a trial or a tribulation come upon us and we think to ourselves, wait a second, I thought God was good. I thought he was going to help us. I thought he was going to work in and through us. And we think to ourselves, hold on a second. This good, good father is a bad, bad man. And we're like, no, 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 hold on a second. He is a good God who loves you and cares for you because it's not odd. It is very, very much necessary. Now, here's how I know this is true. Weathermen. I don't know how you find out the weather. I don't really care. Okay, like I go out in the morning, I look up in the sky and I go, oh, it's going to rain today. Like no big deal. And then uh, Bethany, on the other hand, she has an app. She has a website. She has the TV and she's like, the barometer pressure is going to be this way. It's going to rain like this is what's going to happen. And this guy told me that it is going to pour. Now we just had a storm, right? Remember that? Right? Like it was supposed to be this gigantic storm, 100 miles per hour winds. I'm on the front porch. I'm waiting for the wrath of God to come down. Bethany's in the basement with the girls, and they're trembling. All right? <laughs> so I looked at it. I, 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 wind came in, and that was it. I was really disappointed, right? <laughs> and they're, they're down there praising God and singing songs, and I'm thinking to myself, I really need Jesus in my life. Right? And weathermen, for example, they prepare you for what's coming, but they don't get punishment when they're wrong, right? Or you have doctors who come in and they tell you the same thing and they do all this and they tell you what's going to happen and transpire because it's for your good. They want you to be prepared. God's doing the same thing here. Weathermen are going to fall short. Doctors are going to fall short. Things like that are going to fall short. God's never going to fall short in telling you what is going to transpire in your life. 
And what he's telling you is going to transpire in your life is suffering. And he says that suffering in your life is not always for bad. It is for good. Look at it this way. He says, my plan for your life is often, but not always going to be filled with pain. It's going to be filled with hardship. But you have to remember it will not last for forever. Part of the human experience is that we hurt. But God helps in our hurt, and he gives us the hope that we have. Let me give you a couple of verses. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. This should help you in your trial and tribulation, whatever you're facing. Whatever that situation you find yourself in where you're hurting, and you find yourself crying about it at night, and you're going through pain and hardship, this verse you should put on your bathroom mirror and read it every single day, that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. There'll no be mourning. There'll no be crying or pain. Why? The old is gone. The old sinful way is gone, and the new has come. These former things have passed away. Man, I love what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 30. He says, listen, his anger is but for a moment because he has to be that way with the sin that is going on in the world. And his favor, though, is for a lifetime. Weeping is going to tarry for the night. The joy comes in the morning, the newness of life that we have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if we look at verse 13, instead of being surprised, and kind of, as if something strange were happening, we should be glad. Peter says we share in Christ's pain and suffering. And this is what that means. What does it mean to share in Christ's suffering? What, is that, what does that look like for us to share in Christ's suffering? Well, it's a validation of the faith. First thing, when you suffer, and to Peter's readers, this would be for persecution and for pushing back against sin. He says, when you suffer for those things, you are identifying with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, he already said it. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you as an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Every time you suffer, you follow in the steps of Jesus Christ you know firsthand, as Philippians will say, the power of his resurrection becoming like him. Paul wrote to the Romans this way, where he said, you are a child of God, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, and in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. When we suffer, whether that's for the persecution of our faith, or the pushback against sin, or the trials and tribulations of this world, we identify with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It puts us in the same camp with him. Number two, you share very much in what the apostles experienced. The apostles experienced hardship beyond anything that we could ever even fathom. And here what we see in the text in Acts chapter 1 verse 6 or Acts chapter 5 verse 41, when they were persecuted, when they were pushed against by the government and the people who didn't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says in the word that they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of God. How many times do we do this? Do we get sick or do we have a death in the family or we go through a hardship or, or something transpires in our life? And our first reaction is, why me when it should be? This is for the glory of God. This is, is something we can rejoice in because God counts me worthy to suffer in this way. That changes our perception on life. 
It's not just to get past it, it's to go through it, to mature more in our relationship with Christ. We have an experience much like the apostles' experience. But he also says this gains you an eternal perseverance. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, This is done so that he might bring us to God, to put to death in the flesh, but be made alive in the Spirit. When we get through one trial, we can do another. I'm reminded of the old Nike commercial, since Aaron uh, was up here, you know, giving her plugs. Like, maybe we can get an endorsement deal going on. Just kidding. <clears throat> the old Nike commercial said, one more. I can do one more, right? I can do one more. I can go one more round. I can do one more rep. That's exactly what Peter's saying here. Is he's saying, if you go through one trial, you can do one more. And when you do one more, you'll be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Yes, church, we suffer on earth. But the glory in heaven is worth it. Our eternal perception has to stay pointed that direction. Now, let's pause for a second, okay? Because you might sit here and you might think about it. I knew it. I was suffering. Yep. That's right, Pastor Jordan. You're right. Absolutely, I'm suffering. Not all suffering is godly. Sometimes you suffer because of your own behavior. Amen? That's a harder amen, right? We really need to think and get some of this wise counsel on if our suffering is coming because of our relationship with Jesus Christ or is our suffering become because of ourselves. We know what it means to share in Christ's sufferings. We understand that. But not all sufferings are because we're sharing in Christ's sufferings. Some of those are because of our own sinfulness. And that is when we need to repent. Now, Peter continues. And if you look at verse 14, he talks about how you know what it means to share in Christ's sufferings. But let's talk about um, the reasons to share in Christ's sufferings. Verse 14. He says, if you are insulted... For the name of Christ, you are what? Anybody know? You're blessed. You're blessed. Huh. I'm going to read this to you twice because you need to hear it. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or anything uh, wrong in regards to what the world has to offer, like being an evildoer or a meddler. Oh, let's just stop there for a second, because what he's saying is you are blessed when you suffer. One of the reasons that we have for sharing in Christ's sufferings is that we find ourselves blessed as believers. The first part of the verse is very similar, again, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus' words. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter's just reiterating what he already knows to be true from his Savior. Not only will suffering believers find great joy when Christ returns, but they will be blessed in this world. Now, we have to unpack blessed. Because it's the most abused word in Christianity. Okay? Hashtag blessed. No, I don't know about that. All right, let's, let's define this. Blessed in the Greek is often rendered happy, okay, or fortunate. So you could say you're fortunate or blessed if you are insulted because you're a follower of Christ. 
You cannot, though, say you're happy. Because happy is an emotional state and it's misleading. Because I'm not always happy when I'm insulted for the name of Christ. If you're at your workplace or you're at your school or wherever you may find yourself, or sometimes it's even in your home, some of you who have unbelieving spouses, you get to the point and to the place where you are not happy because your spouse has ridiculed you for knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Your boss maybe has ridiculed you because you know Jesus Christ and you're not happy about that whole situation. You're not walking around with a big smile on your face thinking, man, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me in the world, right? No, but I'm fortunate, which is a better rendering of that, because while we don't always feel blessed, we know we're blessed. And we know we're blessed by two truths. First truth is, because we are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. Selah. Which means, let that sink in. See, we bypass that. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And what Peter's doing is he's building off of an Old Testament passage. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who's him? Jesus. Now, follow. If the spirit of the glory of God rests upon Jesus, and God's glorious presence is in him, If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit rests in you. That's a huge truth. God's glory is one of His greatest attributes. If you walk through the text, it is revealed in Jesus. It's given to martyrs in Revelation chapter 6. It's a characteristic of Stephen as he was stoned, being the first martyr for Christianity. But the question on the table is, can that be said about you? If I were to go to your workplace or your school or even your home, would you be known for somebody who has the spirit of God resting upon you? Or is your life so saturated in the worldliness of sin that people can't even see the Savior through it? The window's so dirty that you can't see what's on the other side. See, what Peter's saying here is he says, well, believers have the Holy Spirit. Peter indicates that those who suffer for Christ have this huge, great measure of strengthening, empowering, and peace that come upon them because they lean on that understanding. Never forget, as a believer in Jesus Christ, the same power that was given to Jesus is given to you through the Holy Spirit. Do you not know? Have you not heard the testimonies of the saints from generation to generation to generation who have talked about what has happened and transpired in their life because they know Jesus Christ through faith? Whoa. Now, second truth is, we suffer for good, not for evil. Peter makes it very clear that not all suffering results in being blessed. Because sometimes it's your own sin that causes you to suffer. Went too far. Chapter 2, verse 20, he says, If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? If believers have to suffer, it must be because of their faith. We can't be counted blessed among those who murder or steal or participate in worldliness. What an embarrassment for the people of God to be known and suffer for being like the world instead of being known for being like Christ. Look at verse 16. He says, Yet if anyone suffers, and here's the word in the Bible, I love this, as a Christian, he, he uses it, he uses the term. Not used a lot in the Bible, but he says, if anybody suffers 
as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So Peter remembers that not only, okay, are we blessed because of the suffering that comes, but we don't have to be ashamed about that suffering. You'll be unashamed. Peter reminds believers that, well, no one wants to suffer or be insulted publicly for your faith. In suffering, we shouldn't be ashamed as Christians. Now we have to define that term. Why does Peter use Christian? Really interesting passage of Scripture here. Why does he say Christian? Well, he uses the term Christian to describe followers of Christ. Now, we might look at that and say, oh, that's really nice of him. Not in that day. In that day, people were called Christians were ridiculed for their faith. As a matter of fact, he's taking a negative and making it a positive. See, if somebody called you a Christian, they were demeaning you for your faith. When people called somebody a Christian... What would happen in Antioch is uh, the disciples were called Christians because the pagans ridiculed them because of the fact that they followed Jesus, who they said was not the Messiah. It was their way of saying they were foolish. It only stuck later on because the negative connotation went away. It should be better translated, because you're a Christian, to because you are a believer in Christ or because people know you are one who trusts in Christ. This is part of identifying with Jesus. This is part of identifying with Christ. See, what Peter's saying is, he's saying embrace the name that people hate and that people label you as because you can use it for leverage for the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, <clears throat> one person said this. He says, just as Christ bore the name Messiah, you bear the name of being his follower. And what I've realized in the church, as well as being a believer in Jesus Christ, is we take Jesus and put him in our pocket. doesn't matter if we're young, middle-aged, or older. And we say, this is my Sunday Jesus, but we don't put Sunday Jesus in Monday work. We don't put Sunday Jesus in marriage. We don't put Sunday Jesus in all things, right? You ask somebody to identify the things that are important to their life. They say, well, God first, family second, uh, and then kind of my job, I guess. We'll put that up there, fishing, whatever, hunting, whatever you do, knitting, I don't know. He says, no, 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 it shouldn't be that way. It should be God in my marriage. God doesn't want to be first in your life. He wants to be in all of your life. See, that's why in Romans, Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed to put him in all places of my life. So just think about it as you're gathered here this morning. Have you compartmentalized Jesus Christ? Have you placed him just here in the pew, but not taken him out to the people who need him the most? Peter says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and nor should you, because we have the ability to glorify God, to bear the name of being a Christian. They mock us and ridicule with that name, but understand that we are Christ's representatives on earth. And so therefore, he tells them, everything you do, even in shameful suffering, you can honor and glorify the Lord. I was reading uh, some of the famous martyrs, uh, the people who have died uh, for their faith. And um, some of these guys in, in history, the, the world has kicked back against them. And essentially the governors and people like that were pushing back against them. These were guys that we would call our catalysts of the faith. And a lot of times they would feed Christians to lions. And uh, 
One of the guys spoke back to the, to the, to the government because they said, Do you, are, are you aware that we're going to feed you to the lions because you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior? And he looked back at him and he said, if they don't eat me because I'm a Christian, I'll beg them to eat me. In other words, he just said, well, bring it on. Another guy said, you are pushing back against me and you think setting me on fire is going to hurt me. Fire only lasts for an hour here on earth, but for you it will last for an eternity. Unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Always said in a loving way though, right? <clears throat> Reason number three. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> he said, for it is time for the judgment to begin. And this is so hard for us as believers to, to wrap our minds around, but we're going to try to bring clarity here. It is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God with us. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, what Peter's saying here is, he says, let all who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, Peter already warned that God is going to judge all people. He's going to judge them according to if they believed in Jesus Christ, but also if they uh, participated in God's plan too as well. And so for the people of God, what we realize is that God has a plan for our life. And part of that plan for our life is that he welcomes our suffering first. He says, before I come back, I'm going to start with the household of God so that you don't have to deal with this at the very end. See, we welcome God's judgment now. Part of God's plan is that we welcome God's judgment now upon us. We're like, let that condemnation come because we fall underneath the blood of Christ. It starts with his own people. Trials are experienced by Christians because it's part of the impending judgment before the second coming. This is a, another sermon for another day. Okay, I know I'm getting kind of deep here and people are like, wait, hold on, what are you talking about? Essentially, what's going to happen in transpires, God says, I will bring my wrath on you now. You'll be underneath the blood of Jesus. You don't have to worry about it. But then when I do come back and take you from this place, then my wrath will be fully exposed to the people who have rejected me. So us as believers, we sit there and we say, yeah, bring it on now because I fall underneath of grace and Mercy. Peter asks a rhetorical question that comes from Proverbs 11. If fire is difficult for believers who know the reason that they suffer and for the future, what will it be like for unbelievers who are hostile towards these Christians? Okay, so what Peter's saying here is he's saying trust Christ now because you don't have to worry about Christ's impending judgment later. It's a call for non-believers who may have been present in the home. But the second thing he says is, he says that God's plan for you also includes, all right, his will. In other words, he understands and he knows what's transpiring. Peter is constantly encouraging his readers to, to know, and you need to hear this today, that whether you're young or you're middle-aged or you're older, that God is fully aware of your situation and completely in control of it. And whatever you're experiencing, whatever's going on in your life, whatever's transpiring in your heart, God is fully aware of your situation. He knows about it, and it is part of His will. Why did my husband die? Why did I get sick? Why do people ridicule me at work? Why do I have problems with all of these things? God knows about your situation. He understands it, and He's in full control, and He's waiting for His children to lean on His understanding. Instead of kicking back and asking why, say, God, 
may your will be done. This is your plan. Jesus went through this, right? Jesus, in the garden, finds himself pleading to God, and he's saying, if there's any way that you could let this cup pass from me, so be it. And God whispers in his ear, this is the only way. And what does he say? All right, let's do it. And he gets up, and he embraces the suffering, and he embraces the pain because he knows it's part of God's will. And suffering now on this side is going to be so much easier and worth it than being on the other side. It's difficult to accept that suffering is part of God's plan, but you can find comfort in understanding that in God's will, suffering has a reason and a goal, but most importantly, an end. It has a finish line. For believers, our suffering is a purifying process that draws us closer to God. And so if God's prayer for us is that we would suffer to become more like him, then we say, bring it on. That is one of the hardest messages to preach. That if God looks at us and he says, my desire for you to suffer and go through this situation and circumstance is that you'll become more like me then don't let me kick back against your plan. Let me embrace your plan and let me live it out so that I may be more like Christ. Close with this. May you trust in the Lord and may you realize that sharing in His suffering is a wonderful thing because you identify with Jesus. You have the same experience as believers have from generation to generation. And it builds in you an eternal perspective. May you see that in your Christ-like suffering, you are blessed. God is good. And may in your suffering you be unashamed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you proclaim it in hospital rooms and in workplace environments and in break rooms and in your living rooms and in your home. May you be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you stop writing it on your walls and start writing it on your hearts. May you stop putting quotes where you can see them and start putting quotes where people can embrace them. May you realize that God has given you a purpose and he's given you a plan in all that you think, say, and do, whether it is smooth sailing or rough waters. This is what God's plan is for us so that we may become more like Jesus Christ, his son. That concludes the preaching and teaching of the word of God. All praise be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to preach your word. And very difficult sometimes it can be, but extremely encouraging because you tell us you have a plan for our life. And we suffer because sin. We live in a sin-saturated society. It's our fault. We went against your will. The Bible says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You set a standard, we broke it. And so we have to repent of our sin. And we have to come back into the fold of God through faith and trust. And that trust means we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Our first step always has to be to trust your son, that his blood was sufficient for our sins. It was enough. If you find yourself here this morning 
and you're suffering and you're going through hardship. God's desire for you is first and foremost that you would repent of your sin. You would confess your sin and you would embrace Jesus Christ through faith. You would say, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe 2,020 some odd years ago, you died on the cross for my sin. The blood that you shed on the cross was for my sin. It was enough. And while I don't know all of it, I know that piece of it. And I trust you as Lord and Savior. You be the center of my life. The Bible tells us that God will do just that. He will renew a right spirit within you. That the faith that you put in Christ will be enough to sustain you. And God, there are people who are here who are suffering. They're suffering for their faith. They're suffering because they're in a battle with sin. They're suffering because of the flesh that is weak. They're suffering because of sickness. They're suffering because of hardship. They're suffering because of the society that surrounds us. And so we call upon the name of the Lord who is good. And we ask that you would conform our will to yours. And that we would not just beg of you to help us get over it, but realize that there's blessing in going through it. And that we would see this as an opportunity to glorify you. And as we beg and plead you, Lord, to take care of our suffering, sometimes you'll answer us with yes, and you'll remove sickness. And sometimes, God, you'll answer yes, and you'll remove hardships. And sometimes, God, you'll say yes, and you'll remove people who persecute us. But sometimes, God, you say no. And so whether it's a yes or a no, or you're asking us to wait and be patient, we ask that we would be on point with your plan. That we would trust your sovereignty, that you're over and you're in control of all things. And that our faith and our trust would see us through to the end. Until you come and you call us home, this flesh may fade away. This flesh may be something that is so rotting, but yet you can restore even the most broken. And we trust that you will do that. In our suffering, like Christ's suffering, we ask that you would be honored and glorified. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.